Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today we're talking about Spider-Man Homecoming. And we've seen the film, so just a heads up. Spoilers. Spoilers are imminent for Spider-Man. Uh, what was great about this, Lloyd, was that they didn't start with the backstory of him being bitten by the spider for the third reboot. I know. <laughs> we're just so exhausted uh, by now to see that spider bite uh, Peter Parker again and then him going through the whole process, I think the audience wouldn't just stand for it. So first of all, 2D or 3D? I just watched it in 2D. Me as well. I I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Uh, Regular listeners of the podcast will know I find the 3D glasses annoying because I also wear glasses and it's a whole fiddly thing for two hours. So just haven't jumped back into 3D for a while. Isn't it funny that the... Uh, that James Cameron, who created 3D with Avatar, by the time the sequel to Avatar comes out, it probably, you know, 3D will probably have run its course. Yeah, well, I guess by then he'll be hoping for some kind of smell vision fourth dimension, fifth dimension, whatever. VR, man. He'll be shooting water into the cinema when we jump into a, a water scene and <laughs> flying through the air, he'll shoot gas in our faces. I don't know. First of all, we did cover the Andrew Garfield version of um, Amazing Spider-Man, if you will, on the podcast. If people want to check that out, they can search at podmeifyoucan.com and get our thoughts on that franchise. But Tom Holland, I thought he was pretty good in this. I mean, obviously we last saw him in uh, Civil War, but um, how do you think he held his own in this movie? Yeah, no, I think he's a very good Spider-Man. He seems like a very young uh you you know Spider-Man that's going through high school and everything like that like this seems like a high school movie a lot of critics have put comparisons to um a John Hughes film so to speak and uh, I do like it how it's back to that Spider-Man that's always full of witty lines which we saw moments of in the Andrew Garfield version but obviously that was a very brooding and I've heard some people call it the emo Spider-Man I don't know what then would <laughs> Um, Toby Maguire's Spider-Man be, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, by the third one, Toby Maguire was very emo, uh, <laughs> with the black hair and everything. But um, look, I think uh, Tom Holland was really capable, really competent as Spider-Man. I feel like this film, though, the X factor to it is the fact that you've inserted Iron Man and uh, Happy and Pepper Potts and grabbed elements of the Avengers world and incorporated them, like the um, alien tech from uh, the original Avengers movie. And if you didn't have any of that, I think I would have hated this. Um, If this was simply a high school movie with Spider-Man and Flash and everybody recast and, you know, he gets his powers and he, you know, swings around and becomes Spider-Man again, I would have hated this. The fact that you opened the film with that short film by Peter Parker, showing us the events of Civil War how basically he got incorporated into the Avengers movie and recruited and he's so excitable and having such a great time on his little Berlin holiday 
that was all fantastic. Yeah, and it's such a mod modern take because that is a vlog, which is what YouTube effectively has become. Like the the biggest things on YouTube are the vlog stars, and it just seems like something like a modern day kid would be doing would be vlogging it. But I don't know who his audience would be and who he's showing it to. It's it's really us, obviously. But at the end of yeah. the day, who's he going to show that video to? Well, maybe like just to jump ahead for a second, you know, Marissa Tomei as May Parker. She's by the end of the film finds out his identity, so maybe that's who he'd show it to. <laughs> well, anyway, let's um let's talk about the villain because a hero is only as good as his villain, and of course we've covered Michael Keaton a lot on the podcast. Here he is as the vulture Lloyd. I thought he was playing the Birdman. <laughs> He's the Birdman all the time, isn't he? Well, this is uh, one of the best things about this movie, Spider-Man Homecoming, is for me the villain of the piece. He just seems so relatable. And, of course, the the brilliant thing that the writers had did with this film was relate it back to the events of the Avengers and show the effects of of um, the, the wars that these godlike people have and how the, the little person is being affected. but And I do mean that both with Peter Parker and, of course, um, Adrian Toomes. They're both affected in different ways from, from those events. But you get fully behind Adrian Toomes's reason for um, doing what he's doing. It just seems so plausible that, you know, what Tony Stark has created with uh, the the weaponry systems and then, you know, obviously that was touched on in Iron Man and how that's bombing people from other countries. You know, effectively that's what Adrian Toomes is doing, just selling it on the black market. I think um, Michael Keaton played everything beautifully as, as well and I think it culminated in one of the best scenes of the film where he simply just has a conversation with Peter Parker in the car as he's dropping off his daughter and his um and Peter Parker at the homecoming dance, um and that was just so menacing. How he goes, oh look, I'll kill your whole family in order to protect mine, and the subtlety and you know drama in the, that's beneath that scene was just absolutely fantastic. I so badly wanted him to go, you know, when when uh, Bruce Wayne is talking around about who the Joker is in the first Batman. And he goes, you know, I knew this guy, Jack, nice guy, really smart, but, you know, and then, uh, but, but not too smart. And then he just cracks it and goes, you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. I so badly wanted that moment, but it didn't happen, of course. But, yeah, it just reminded me a lot of that. That reminded me of uh, Willem Dafoe's uh, Osborne, you know, from the Tobey Maguire series. Because there's that quiet scene at the dinner table where he realises Peter Parker is Spider-Man uh, in a similar sort of way, you know, where there's other people around. In this case, it was his daughter. You know, he talks about being clipped by a bike messenger and stuff, but he he's picked it. He realises that um, Peter Parker's Spider-Man as well. Did you guess that Liz's dad was Adrian Toomes? That came as a complete shock to me. I thought that was a really good switch. Yeah, me as well. And I was thinking, geez, should I have picked it earlier than this? Because, you know, they both mentioned families, like, oh, my dad this, or my parents this, and he obviously has a family, which we know about, but I did not connect the dots at all. And I thought it was fantastic. I was like, oh, wow, a twist that actually got me for once. Yeah, the only problem with that um, that twist is that you really feel how little of a character or how poorly written Liz is as a character. It is it is someone that Peter's had strong feelings for. She, I think she's a very, very beautiful girl uh, played by um, Laura Harrier. 
but um, she she just isn't given any screen time to develop. Like after that reveal, wouldn't it have been great to see how much that has affected her? Like I guess you could just put the pieces together, but having Adrian Toomes go away and then her having to move and then Peter just leaving her alone, you know, like uh, not, not really developing any relationship between them at all and she's just really strung out for this whole film. She's really left out in the cold, treated both by the writers and the characters in, in this movie. So that's the only issue with the reveal is just like, oh, well, it would have been great to see more of Liz and how that affects her her family and everything like that. Yeah, I guess in retrospect, when I think about it, the less you know about Liz, the more that twist works. Because if they had a scene where the two of them sit down and talk about how her dad's out of town or how her dad works a lot or something... I think we might have put it together. Yeah, sure. Whereas, that That's fine, but just have more at Liz in the third act, maybe. Yeah, in the aftermath, yeah. for sure. And there's just I some mean, sloppiness with this story as well. Like, as much as I like this movie, there there is some things that... I don't know if it's a case they had to cut corners and cut scenes, but, for example, there is a save the cat moment where he save, literally saves a cat and saves the, um, the, the store owner from this burning building, and that character is given given a couple of scenes or one scene effectively with Peter Parker, he sells um, sandwiches, but we never see him again. And it just seemed like somebody who should have at least, we, we should have seen again, is he okay? Did he, did the store survive and things like that? Just just, just moments like that. There, there are a few holes in, in this movie, but that may be, of course, they, they had to shave down the time and, and cut some key scenes. I mean, it was 133 minutes long. I think they probably could have shaved a little more, but for me, this... It's not a misstep from Marvel, but it's just a bit more of the same. This what well, this didn't reinvent the wheel. For me, the best parts about this um, are that we get the new um, Avengers headquarters, the new sort of Stark building or whatever. We get to advance the plot with uh, Pepper Potts and uh, Tony Stark. You know, they've got the whole engagement thing by the end, which I, I loved all of that. As well, you kind of fill in a few of the blanks for Spider-Man, but this doesn't advance anything. The, the best part is when he, he gets the training mode turned off on his suit and you get to see exactly what Spider-Man could be, all the potential, uh, you know, taser webs and grenade webs. What and did you think of that suit given by Iron Man? Because it does seem like Spider-Man is effectively Iron Man, you, you know, when, when that suit comes on. And I, I don't know, it just feels like Spider-Man should be more independent, more creative um, than just enhanced or... Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah you, you know, like a not a I don't want to say a puppet of Tony Stark, but effectively a soldier of the Tony Stark Industries, much like Captain America and um, Vision or War Machine. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Parker in the comics and things, he's you know scientific and he has you know the ability to build his own web stuff and uh, you know puts his own suit together in the previous two films. Uh, here, because he's a kid, in a way, he is gifted the suit from Tony Stark and he becomes kind of a protege and modelled over the way Tony Stark became Iron Man. Even the colour scheme at the end, the suit is gold and red, um, which matches Iron Man's colours, you know, but he's Spider-Man, obviously. He does need to kind of become his own character. There's always the feeling here that he's not quite part of the Marvel Universe, that he's still disconnected. You know, Sony at the beginning have a massive logo and, um, you know, the X-Men and Spider-Man have never quite clicked until 
Civil War when he made this reappearance, you know, uh, and they brought in Spider-Man. But I feel like if they didn't team him with Iron Man, like I said, I would have hated this movie. Whereas I felt it was competent enough, even though it was a bit long. You know, I didn't find myself laughing out loud. I really remember the Tobey Maguire stuff being very funny and Andrew Garfield being more moody and dramatic. And I think what I get here is um, they're going for, like you say, the John Hughes coming of age stuff. The fact that he's so young, I mean, maybe is not as relatable to me now uh, because high school wasn't yesterday for me. I'm not, you know, watching Twilight films and uh, I'm a different genre now as an adult. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um that could definitely be it, that we're just past it. <laughs> um, this is effectively a comedy, and I think maybe, maybe like, it's too much having every character say a comedic line, and that's my biggest issue with Joss Whedon, uh, especially with... Uh, I love the first Avengers, but Avengers um, 2, Age of Ultron, everyone had a quippy line, and it just becomes this... The, the world just becomes single, and it just sounds like every character is Joss Whedon and a a lot of the jokes didn't hit because so many really bad um, characters were saying their own jokes. Like I hated Flash in this. He just wasn't funny like Penis Parker and everything like that and just the, the... the, 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 some of the comedy just didn't allow room to breathe for the other really funny scenes. Like, for me, the funniest scene was all the scenes where Captain America was being played, the video, and, and that wonderful yeah. gym teacher going, you, you know, uh, I think he's a fugitive now, but I have to play it. You know, he was just absolutely fantastic. But then you got um, Michelle, played by Zendaya, who, who's like this emo chick, some of the jokes landed, but it was just too much. Like, I, I get what kind of teenage character she is, that rebellious, you, you know, um, really awkward sort of kid, but she hides, she masks a lot of her, uh, I don't know, shortcomings or internal problems with, you know, a lot of disdain and cynicism cynicism for, the, for this modern age and so forth. I, I get that character, but uh, at the same time, a lot of her jokes just didn't land for me. I found a lot of the jokes didn't land for me. Like, I wasn't... I mean, I went in with pretty low expectations, so it wouldn't have taken much to wow me. But um, I, I remember thinking... Oh, uh, the biggest laugh so far has been the bit where Spider-Man runs, there's no buildings, and so he has to run through the golf course and the sprinklers come on. Yeah. And that got a big laugh in my cinema. Also the bit where his friend Ned is standing there and the kid is in the chess club and he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And Ned's like, you know, not much, how are you? And he just goes, chess. (laughs) Well, what about when he's rescuing his friends and uh, what's the equivalent? Is it, uh, it's not Jarvis the voice, obviously. He renamed it as... It was Karen? Karen, yeah. Um, Played by, uh, what's her name? Oh my gosh, who does the voice for it? Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly, wow. Um, you know, and then after he rescues the friend, um, she goes, oh, now's a good time to tell her, Peter, kiss her. Yeah. <laughs> like at that moment, just the, the AI is just so all over the place. I, I heard one reviewer say he was expecting it, the reveal of that voice um, to be Tony Stark the whole time. Like Tony Stark okay. was listening the whole time, but I was just like, "How could you pick up that? Why, what, how would Tony Stark find time to monitor um, uh, Peter Parker this entire time and be that voice? That's so silly." Yeah, I did feel like at least they. There's always the danger. Um, 
when the Avengers exist that you get another person to help out. If it's a big thing and Spider-Man can't deal with it, you grab a, you know, an Iron Man or a Thor or whoever, because they all exist in this universe, you can get someone to help, you know? There's always, you've got to fill, it, fill in the reason why they can't be there to help. And of course we know Thor is off doing his Ragnarok thing and uh, he's going to bump into Hulk and we're going to figure out what he's been doing since... But, you know, like Black Widow is floating around. Why can't she come help with these weapons, you know? Yeah. What's yeah. Doctor Strange up to? So This, this would be a perfect in... opportunity for the Incredible Hulk right about now sort of thing. <laughs> yes, like a Deadpool moment where he says, hey, how come there's only two of you that ever answer the door? <laughs> Pretty much what they did answer well, I thought, was that Happy, played by John Favreau, was like his minder and he was mostly like just minding him if he went out of the state, you know, not really giving him much contact and therefore Tony Stark wasn't really in contact with him for most of the film which I think they solved the problem pretty well yeah it's interesting because uh, um Peter Parker needs a father figure and he he the tragedy of the comics that he lost Uncle Ben and he's got Aunt May and Aunt May really became that role and she's a really tough and warm character that guides Peter Parker morally in in Homecoming, what's happened, Tony Stark has taken the role of the father figure and Aunt May has become like a caricature almost. She's, you know, this super hot Marissa Tomei and that's the joke all the time is that, you know, or everyone hits on her all the time because she's super attractive. Uh, it would have been like they could have pushed a little bit more of the importance of Aunt May or whatever direction Homecoming wants to go with her other than just being this caricature when... Peter Parker comes home after he gets the suit taken away by Tony Stark and he's crying and he he, he tells her, oh, I've, I've lost the apprenticeship with um, the Tony Stark Industries. Instead, we get a montage of him becoming a high school kid effectively and Aunt May trying to teach him how to dance, what how he should approach a girl. But it's all treated as a montage. Uh, I think they needed to push Aunt May a little bit more because she is such an important character in the Spider-Man universe. I get that you're getting rid of that... Um, the classic story of Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. That's fine. We don't have to see that again. But what's going to be her role now? If I could only say one thing to the um, to the writers and where they're going to take Homecoming, that's something that needs to be at the forefront of um, the next Spider-Man. Yeah, I was going to ask you later about what, what the sequel will be like. But I assume they'll link Marissa Tomei's character with somebody romantically. They'll kind of flesh her out. There'll be a new possible father figure you know, in whoever the man is she's dating. Because, yeah, she, I thought Aunt May was handled terrifically in the Sam Raimi films, um, just absolutely perfect, and I get that's really hard to top, and they're going with a completely different direction with Homecoming. Like, I, I just can't get over the fact that Spider-Man is so similar to Iron Man. That That's the only thing that I had issues with in this movie, but I do get the whole, you know, he takes a suit away, and I love that idea. Look, if you... If you are nothing without this suit, then you don't deserve it in the first place. And I, I think that's... That's a, the new great power, great responsibility. Exactly, though. exactly. That's the direction that they're going in. And they, they just need a, a place for Aunt May or, or, or something like that. That That's my criticism. I, I hated when that voiceover came in when at the point of the, the greatest crisis of this movie when that all that rubble is on top of Spider-Man and he looks at a reflection of himself and then he hears Tony Stark's voiceover. We just don't need to hear it. Like, uh, we get it. You know, it's like our issue with Wonder Woman, how they had to flash back and we had to hear the Steve Trevor and what he said when Wonder Woman couldn't hear her. You know, they just yeah. had to spoon 
spoon feed the audience. That, that, that was a big issue. It just would have been great him seeing that reflection of himself and then him summoning up the power to lift up all that rubble, which a lot of people had issues with that Spider-Man all of a sudden found that strength. I don't know if they found the scene corny and the build-up to that, but you got to remember Spider-Man is as strong as the Hulk. That's a famous um, rivalry series in the comic book, Marvel comic book universe, Spider-Man versus the Hulk. Spider-Man is one of the most strongest characters in the entire Marvel universe. So it didn't surprise me him lifting, you know, all that rubble. What does shock me is when he gives a right hand to, say, Dr. Octopus or the Vulture and they don't go down. Because I'm sorry, if you're as strong as the Hulk and you take a right hand on the chin, you, you, you're going to go down. <laughs> I heard that. That was actually a scene from the comic books where he lifts all the rubble, so it was lifted directly from the comics. So if people have a problem with it, they should talk to Stan Lee, I guess, <laughs> Jack Kirby. Wasn't it great to see uh, a Marvel movie where the whole world wasn't at stake, uh, Dave? Just a nice little showdown between a, a, a sort of small-time criminal and a little hero that's ma- making a mark in the world? Yeah, and I mean, the theme is there, like you say, the little man being trod on by the rich guy and they lose their... I mean, the film opened with... Adrian Toomes. So you can kind of make a case for him being the hero of the film and everyone's trying to stop him from yeah. making money for his family, you know? <laughs> and he ends tragically. I love it how he does it. Like, uh, I guess it's Scorpion at the end who wants to know who Peter Parker was and, you know, he yeah. just has that much, um, uh, I, I guess, um, integrity that he's not going to give in some kid, you know? But, uh, oh, my gosh. But m- one of the biggest issues with the climax, and I saw this with my good friend Ben, shout out to you, mate, um, he he didn't bring his glasses, but he said I, I had no idea what was going in that third act on the on the airplane. He said I, I couldn't mm. tell what was going on. It was just a CGI'd mess. And I'm thinking, yeah, that, that's fair enough. <laughs> they uh, they shouldn't have put any shots of that airplane stuff in the trailer because they had shots from the third act effectively in the trailer, which ruined it a little bit for me. I loved all the stuff at the beginning where he's doing good. And he's just doing his own sort of like, hey, this is what I did, save the cat and stuff. It did remind me of um, the film Super. Do you remember that James Gunn movie with um, Rain Wilson we did? Yep. So he's sort of, except he has real powers. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just walking the streets in his suit, you know, helping people and stopping people snatching bags and stuff, just deciding to be a superhero. There was kind of a nice grassroots level Spider-Man happening yeah, and all the quips and jokes he has, that's that's old Spider-Man. We saw a bit of that at the beginning of Amazing Spider-Man 2 when he takes out Rhino and that bank bank job. He's just full of those little jokes and everything like that. i, I got to bring up the big elephant in the room, Dave, and um, I guess I'm the perfect person to bring this up because, one, I brought up the whole Doctor Strange whitewashing and here I go again with... <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming, so everyone, if you're in your car, buckle up. <laughs> okay, so I my head hurt at the end of this film by, or well, I'll say at the middle of this film, by being hit with the big, massive hammer of diversity. <laughs> mm, and, there's a lot of diversity, Oh, isn't my there? gosh, they wielded it like crazy. Now, I like seeing Ned, uh, played by Jacob Batalon. He's a Filipino. It's so refreshing to see an Asian-American on the big screen. In Australia, we just don't see that at all, like Home and Away and everything. There's no Asians that exist or ethnic characters in our TV world and all that. So it's great to see... Uh, you know, I, I would have killed to have seen a scene where Peter visits Ned's house and we see Ned's family. That would have been incredible, seeing a Filipino family in the Marvel Universe. Oh, gosh, that would have been incredible. But 
I, I loved Liz, played by the beautiful Laura Harrier. Um, as, as I said before, they could have went further with her. Instead, I felt she was painfully left with nothing much to do in the movie. But then you notice it pretty early, Dave. I'm not talking about the majority of the characters of the world becoming a darker shade of colour here. I'm talking about the suits in the boardroom ensuring that they tick off all the boxes on their lists forged by endless focus groups. They just had to include all aspects of races that just so happened to be from the growing markets of the modern world. Like, hey, India, we got you covered with a character here, Flash. You remember Flash? Oh, it's now played by an Indian character. Hey, China... China, you're growing. We got you covered. Like, this whole world is populated by Chinese characters, you know? Like, I'm all for diversity, but you got to utilise these characters appropriately. Otherwise, don't do it. It just becomes so transparent. I can just feel this marketing team all throughout this movie ticking that box, you know? It, it's not as bad as Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty, go back to and listen to that podcast. I had heaps of issues with that movie. I mean, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Go back and listen to the Beauty and the Beast podcast that we did. Another thing, with George A. Romero, when he made Night of the Living Dead, he said he didn't cast a black American actor in the lead because he wanted to be progressive. He simply cast a black American actor in the lead because he was the best guy who auditioned for the part. And I think that's even more progressive because it doesn't bring attention to itself. George Romero didn't have that focus group or pressure to go, oh yes, I want to be progressive, so I've got to have a black American actor in the lead of the movie. You know, and I just think it's a wrong decision to go um, in the way that they did uh, with uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, I'm shocked they didn't put a gay character in this film as well. They might as well have gone the whole nine yards, you know. But my gosh, if if you're going to use diversity to this extent, it's just too obvious. There's got to be a reason for it. And I heard at a comic book panel or Comic-Con thing, um, is it Feige, the, the main guy behind the whole Marvel Universe? They asked Kevin Feige. Kevin yeah. Feige. They asked him, oh, how come such a diverse cast? And he says, oh, it's because of reality. And I like to believe the sincerity in that, but I, I don't think that's true. I think they purposely, strategically picked this cast in order to satisfy to satisfy those, those uh, larger markets. Like, I, I don't think it's... Like, I feel Fast and the Furious and Triple X Return of Xander Cage did it well because they all the characters served a reason and they all had their own styles and everything like that that they brought to the plot. Like, I do, uh, you know, it's a bit tongue in cheek. It's a bit there with the Fast and the Furious movie, obviously, to increase a, a large an audience as possible. But I feel like in Homecoming, it was really purposely done by, by a committee. And um, yeah, that's my only issue with it. The, the diversity just is just too obvious and transparent for me i guess if it were to be truly diverse they would have had a black spider-man yeah because... I, I, I hear all all about that with aaron davis's character played by donald glover is he supposed to be some sort of um uh... he, well he wanted he wanted the role that's right donald glover campaigned he said he wanted to be spider-man i believe and the character aaron davis is the prowler and i believe he at some point replaces spider-man or his nephew does um there's a link there but they sort of put it some seeds in to be like, at some point, we could have Black Spider-Man. But it is very... Like, Tom Holland is the whitest kid and Michael Keaton is the villain and obviously Downey and, I mean, Marissa Tomei, John Favreau, Gwyneth Paltrow, you've got a lot of Caucasians in there. So then 
they have said, what can we do with the other roles? Like, I, I do see the committee behind this as well. And, I mean, uh, you know, you've got him into the character of Liz. It's not a bigger stretch to say in the next film, he and Zendaya, you know, MJ, if you will, can have a relationship because his type has been established and it sets it up. What, what do you mean by his type, man? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Beautiful young women, I'm afraid, <laughs> is his type. <laughs> that was a good parachute. Um, no, but uh, it was wonderful, that reveal, Michael Keaton and his family. Okay, it's an interracial family. That would have been enough for me. That would have been like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I get it. That's great. And it wouldn't have been as transparent just having this whole universe. Like, what kind of a high school does Peter go to where the jock isn't the jock that how we think of, like, the, the really athletic person? It must be a really smart sort of high school or, or something like that. Like, or maybe it's a case that high schools are generally like that, like the days of the jocks, like what we had when we were going to high school or what uh, Toby Maguire had to almost, you know, this all-out brawl in the first Spider-Man had to put up with. Maybe those days are gone. Maybe it is this, what we're looking at at Homecoming is the modern-day high school. Well, the original Flash in the Toby Maguire film was Joe Manganiello, who's like heavily ripped and like <laughs> a big tough dude. Even then he looked intimidating. Kind of the change here for Flash Gordon... Flash Gordon? Flash? Flash, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, for Flash here is that he's like the kid with money. He has that fancy car. He's, you know, he gets the girls he can DJ. He's probably got, like, rich, connected family and it's kind of like a Winklevoss twin or something rather than um, a traditional bully, I suppose. It's like influence rather than um, per physical strength. I don't feel like... Um, Peter Parker really got redemption. I know he saved everybody in the um, Washington Monument, which I really enjoyed that sequence. I thought that was well done. He saves everybody there, but uh, he didn't really get that moment where everybody went, whoa, Peter does know Spider-Man, or whoa, Spider-Man did turn up to the party, and he kind of was always a dork, I guess. <laughs> it would have been nice if there was kind of a Peter Parker's all right moment by the end, but I guess we'll save something for the sequel. Where do you think the sequel's going to go? Well, since it's beyond, like it's 2019 when they're going to, they've penciled in the Homecoming 2, if you will. I'm sure it'll be called something else, but um, look, it's beyond uh, Infinity Wars, and so we're not really sure where that's going to put anybody. I mean, it does say that Spider Man survives. Well, I heard they're making a Venom movie. Is that in the same universe, or? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's going to be. I feel like at the moment, team ups are big. I mean, we've we've just seen Iron Man and Spider Man. We're seeing Hulk and Thor. I I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility to include like Deadpool with Spider Man or Spider Man with the X Men if they're rebooting the X Men. They may require a Spider-Man in there to boost that, you know, because it's quite a young X-Men they're going for. Uh, so I would suspect the next Spider-Man will see somebody else established, kind of walk into the group, I mean, walk into the, the film. Uh, I don't think it'll be Iron Man, though. I think that that's been played out here. Do you have any thoughts? I don't know, like, as you said, with Scorpion, as we talked about with Scorpion at the end, is he going to be, was that like a card sort of thing that they were highlighting that, okay, in the next round it's going to be Scorpion, Spider-Man versus Scorpion? I'm not too sure which direction they're going to go, or is it going to be um, Peter Parker in college and how he deals with that? It's a, such a choice he makes 
at the end of the film whether he he could have gone on with the Avengers and he would have learnt a lot with Tony Stark, but instead he chooses to stay with Marissa Tomei and his friends, like he wants to have a childhood, I guess. Well, they do this thing where they say you don't want to be a high school dropout, and yeah. so they kind of justify it like he has to finish school, he's not quite ready yet. But as well, I think it's a rights issue because he's been borrowed here, hasn't he? Like you don't want to put him in the Avengers and then the people that own Spider-Man say, right, well, we want this new deal. You need him because you put him in the Avengers and, you know, they've kind of got one up on Marvel. At the moment, they're borrowing him and they borrowed him for uh, Civil War and they returned Iron Man for this. So both films were more profitable and everybody sort of won. But now that's, that's done. That's the deal. It's happened. I would assume that Homecoming 2 will be a whole different thing, like um, a different beast. Because it goes back and, to Sony? Well, I assume so, yeah. I don't think they, they're required to have Iron Man in the next one or any Marvel characters. I think that will have, have to be something that's arranged. So I assume they'll beef up the villains. They'll get um, Scorpion out. They'll get Vulture out. Start a relationship between him and MJ. Michelle Jane, I guess, <laughs> Zendaya. They will have him be the neighbourhood Spider-Man, you know, trying to pass school, trying to date, trying to juggle everything. And now that Aunt May knows, what you do is you um, you have her be his confidant with Ned. And then you've got kind of an inner circle there. He's got his own little group and they all know his identity and, you know, they can help him out. So they're hiding the identity from MJ. They're He's got to deal with Scorpion and Vulture and whoever else they put in. I just hope they don't go the Hobgoblin route. He's like one of my favourite villains in Marvel, but uh, I just think it'll just be so exhausting to go down that route again. I mean, they may they may bring back like a rhino or something. Um, you know, one of the sort of more sinister six, I suppose, but there's a lot of characters that Spider-Man fights which is we haven't seen. Which is the best action scene in this movie for you, like of Homecoming? What was your favourite um, action set piece? I mean, probably the Washington Monument. I um, You didn't like the boat I, se- sequence? It was fine, but we saw it com- almost completely in the trailer. Uh, the fact that the boat got split into two, the fact that Iron Man helped push it back together, I was just waiting for those storytelling beats, like we saw too much. Um, I even, I wish we didn't know anything about the plane and that that was a big third act surprise because it wasn't, it didn't add anything to the trailer to see them fighting on this plane at night and then, uh, the engine falling out and stuff like that. Go back and watch the trailer. You'll see what I mean. We didn't need to know any of that. I'm all for being surprised. And the only time I was surprised was that, uh, Adrian Toomes was Liz's dad, which I thought was great. The rest, I mean, I I just followed the beats of the trailer and I, like I said, I went in with really low expectations. Where does uh, Spider-Man Homecoming sit for you in the whole pantheon of Spider-Man movies? And yes, we can include the TV movies from the 70s and 80s, which were terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can leave them out. (laughs) Oh, how dare you? I mean, it's possible that Tobey Maguire's the best. Yeah, I think so. because, Because we've had the most of him and also because it came out of nowhere as such a success. And I think... Probably also uh, Spider-Man is matched by his Mary Jane, and I think Kirsten Dunst did a lot to um, boost that film. I think Emma Stone was good. Andrew Garfield was not great, though. He was just sort of a bit too moody, not light enough for the character. And um, the direction they took it in was so different that it was jarring for us all. 
So I'd probably put Tom Holland above Andrew Garfield, not as an actor. I think Andrew Garfield's a good actor and we've discussed him in Hacksaw Ridge. But in terms of a Spider-Man, I think Tom Holland is a more believable Spider-Man and a more believable age group uh, for Spider-Man to be in, really. So I guess Tobey Maguire, then Tom Holland, then Andrew Garfield for me. How about yourself? Yeah, I'd agree with that, absolutely. I think uh, Tobey Maguire... I love it how you said on one of our podcasts that he's got a very punchable face. <laughs> um, but the the strength of Sam Raimi and the fact that you're right, like that movie really came out of nowhere and really set the template for comic book movies. Some regard it as the best comic book movies ever, specifically Spider-Man 2. I don't agree with that myself, but they are very, very good movies. Uh, I would definitely have Spider-Man 1 and 2 and then Homecoming. Um, but uh, The Amazing Spider-Man uh, 1 and 2 with Andrew Garfield uh, I thought were pretty bad movies. You're right, though. The best thing about this film was probably Captain America's cameo. Uh, I love the detention one where he's like, so you got detention, your body's changing, and I know how that feels. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Believe me, take it from somebody who's been frozen for 65 years, detention isn't cool or <laughs> something like that. That was fantastic. <laughs> did you stay for the end credits? Of course I did. <laughs> That, that's got to be one of the fun, the whole, my whole cinema, like a lot of people stayed behind. Everyone was laughing at the end. Yeah. I mean, it was a good one. It was basically Marvel saying, we know you were going to stay. Uh, we haven't got anything to show you, but this will be fun anyway. And everybody laughed out loud. It was great. Did that um, gym teacher who was also doing detention, when Peter Parker just left detention, he doesn't really put up much of a protest. He's just like, stop. He's yeah. still looking at the computer screen. Wasn't he fantastic? (laughs) (laughs) His dry wit was good. uh, And MJ was just there, obviously, because she had a big crush on Peter Parker. Well, that crush was sort of subtle. Like she says, I'm I'm not obsessed with him. I'm just really observant. But then you sort of get the feeling she does like him by the end of the film. Yeah, that's obviously the foreshadowing that's setting up for the sequel. Exactly. The one thing I did like about the fairy scene uh, was when that one guy yells out, yeah, Spider-Man, and then he yells out, yeah, Iron Man. I I just... (laughs) Just happy... Oh, for whoever saves them. <laughs> I, I just want to say, like, uh, like that that to me was the funniest part was Captain America, but for me the best part about Homecoming and its great contribution to the Marvel series is the villain, the Vulture. I think he's one of the best villains out there. For me, in all of the Marvel movies, the best villain so far would have to be Zemo, for me, uh, from Civil War. And, of course, um, Loki from the Thor series. And then I would put The Vulture by Michael Keaton. I think that's the greatest contribution that uh, Homecoming has made to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just to see how much, how and Civil War um, treaded this as well, how what the Avengers have done, how it's affected the world, and these are the monsters that are going to grow because of, their, of what they've done. I think they dress that in Civil War how... It's cause and effect. I think Vision said something like that, the escalation or something or something to that effect. We do something and something worse comes about it. And uh, that, that was definitely touched on from a ground level. like that. And that's what I feel like Spider-Man has always been about. He isn't the hero that goes out to, to really fight 
the the great celestial monsters like what Guardians of the Galaxy do, or for that for that matter, um, Fantastic Four or the Avengers. Spider Man is the friendly neighborhood Spider Man. He's the guy that's trying to stop the thief running away with a, a, a um somebody's purse, like an old lady's purse. He's the friendly neighborhood Spider Man. You know, and I like, I like well, going back to that montage where he's saving the whole city, or you know, um, people stealing a car. Like there's that Asian guy trying to get into the car, and then Spider Man. Um, um, you know, sticks all these webs on him, and he goes, "No, it's my car. I lo- locked my keys inside." <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't we don't ever know that that's true, though. If that if that, if that was actually his car. <laughs> But the Vulture's character does give voice to the working class of this world. And although it shows what could happen if they went south, you know, going in a more negative um, aspect like what Michael Keaton's character Adrian Toomes had done, it does give voice and believability to this world by showing the working class and the effects that the Avengers and the Avengers enemies have had on the people at a ground level. And I think that's the greatest contribution of Spider-Man Homecoming. That's right. I mean, I I did enjoy Donald Glover's contribution to this, how uh, he got his hand webbed to the car and he tried intimidation mode on him. And he's like, you need to get better at this part of the job and stuff. It was... It was really interesting uh, to have him in this because he's a very credible actor now and he's going to be in the new Han Solo movie as well. For me, I did enjoy the Shocker, uh, played by Bokeem Woodbine. He was the second Shocker. The first one, uh, Logan Marshall Green, was in Prometheus. He's the guy that looks like Tom Hardy but isn't Tom Hardy. <laughs> he he looked like, like the... Boomerang in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I like the villain of the Shocker. I do. Um it would have been nice if they leaned into it a bit more, give him both Shocker gloves and, and the mask that Shocker wears, and I would have probably enjoyed that well, more. When, but, when uh, Adrian Toomes fine. accidentally shoots the first Shocker, and I say accident because he didn't mean to kill him, he thought it was the anti-gravity gun, I thought they could have pushed that a little bit more with his team, like going, oh, I didn't mean to kill him, you know, just, just because it, it does feel like um, Adrian Toomes really loves and cares for his men, you, you know, it, it it did seem like that job that when they tried to steal that last shipment leaving um, the Avengers, uh, Tony Stark's building, and they tried to steal that ship, that seemed like a major one last job, um, a massive payoff for all his men um, to get him out of there. That, that was really cool. And I love that contrast when Michael uh, Keaton, or sorry, I should say Adrian Toomes, is descending on that ship and his guy is talking to him, you know, on his... Um, microphone telling him okay you got to go in now you're however such an away let off the drone now and he's giving him all that technical advice they seemed like a very professional team that have been doing this for many years and that's contrast eight years yeah (laughs) (laughs) and that's contrasted beautifully with um uh, peter parker and uh, Ned and how Peter he f- effectively steals the car, mind you, and he's driving through the streets and he doesn't. He's a kid; he doesn't know how to drive. But his friend Ned is on the computer. He's the computer guy on the on the computer desk, giving him all the advice how to turn on the car and everything like that, and where to go. His GPS effectively. It was interesting to jump eight years forward, so we do get all the established tech and stuff from Tombs. And uh, the relationship with his team and everything like that. And he, I like it. He never seemed mad the whole time, for, all the way to the end. You feel the justification for his reasons as a villain, and that's a well-written villain. If you can get away with that, he's not just there because of um, of greed. That he wants to, he wants power and everything. He's always doing it for his family and for his men. That's the whole, 
That's the whole point. Just brilliant, brilliant stuff. And I felt that with Zemo as well in um, Civil War. The whole way through, I, I, I felt like, okay, he absolutely hates the Avengers for the loss of his family. Yeah. And uh, I enjoyed the upgrades of the suit, the Spider-Man upgrades, and the fact he had a drone on his chest in the Spider logo. And he's like, has that been there the whole time? You know, like stuff he didn't even realize he could do. You know, uh, it's great to kind of push that character to an extreme and have all the 500 and whatever web combinations and things that Tony Stark has thought of. Yeah. And, I enjoyed all of and that. There's a little bit of a training montage where he's, the, I guess he's been training for 37 minutes or however long Carol said yeah. he was training for when he was locked up. I, I would have liked that he was there the whole night. <laughs> you know, it, it took him a whole night to get the hang of that Spider-Man suit. Yeah. Um, for me, the my biggest pet peeve, like in terms of like the gravity and things, was when he's on the plane and he's wearing his old makeshift Spider-Man outfit with the hoodie and whatever, and he's on the plane and uh, it's the third act. I feel like his mask should have come off. Oh, all right. Um, he's hanging onto that plane, and I mean, I watched Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation recently, and when Tom Cruise hangs onto the plane, the pressure and stuff on his face with the air. Uh, Spider-Man in this one is moving around and like up and down the plane. I feel like his mask would have blown off at some point. It was only attached by like, you know, like the silicon or whatever it was made of. And then I kept thinking, oh, at some point when this plane crashes or lands or whatever, there's going to be people around so they can't see his identity. But then when it does crash, he just takes the mask off. I would have loved to have seen some emotion from Tom Holland uh, when he's up there and the plane's going down and he's, you know, guiding it and like shooting the web to move the um, wings of the plane and not crash. Honestly, they could have done that very easily because at the end, like I said, it crashes and he just takes his mask off and has that scene anyway. It must have been that he wasn't available. They were doing it with stunt people. Uh, you know, whoever the stunt person was for Spider-Man did that scene. Or maybe it was easier to CGI. Uh, spy, uh, uh, probably. Yeah, <laughs> rather than yeah. an actual human face. At that climax, Which I guess detracted for me, yeah. At the very climax, when Spider-Man sh- um, tries to stop the Vulture from getting away, he's actually trying to save the Vulture because that box is about to explode. Was that right? Yeah, I mean, he's carrying the very unstable alien tech from the Avengers films. They're kind of like a battery or something. But when added radioact- radioactive energy or whatever it is, like they they become a bomb, like in the Washington Monument. So... He's carrying a big box of them and they seem to be humming and he's saying they're going to explode and, you know, Tombs isn't really listening. So he's, you know, he does care about his well-being because obviously he cares about his daughter and and the the thing about Spider-Man is that he redeems people, you know, he sees the good in people. Villains aren't quite villains to him. He doesn't want to ever go on kill mode and uh, he is just a kid. So he hasn't yet been corrupted by an evil world or anything like that. So I suppose, um, yeah, he's trying to save him at that point and, uh, you know, he inevitably does. I mean, Toombs goes to prison and has a trial and wants revenge by the end. I like so. it. I like to think in that battle Adrian Toombs did beat Spider-Man and he sees him as just a kid and he decides to put him down and just go ahead and take the box so he's at least not empty-handed. Um, yeah. That's what I, I gathered from that scene. I would have liked to have seen what the kill shot was, that one-shot kill that um, uh, Carol, the, the computer, kept um, offering to Spider-Man. Yeah, Karen maybe? I can't oh, remember Karen. Karen. Oh, I, I, keep, can't, I keep thinking of Carol for some reason. But, yeah, I just want yeah. to know what, what would they have initiated? Would the spider webs have been bullets maybe? <laughs> yeah, maybe. They shot very rapidly because he did have rapid fire. I don't know. 
maybe it's something we'll find out in the future, but um, it's nice to know the features are there, isn't it? I did enjoy, uh, one last thing, the whole Michelle drawing people in crisis, where she's drawing little sketches of <laughs> people, uh, felt a bit to me like that would be something they would sell as um, merch and stuff afterwards, you know, just like uh, original cell drawings from Zendaya from the set, basically. So it felt like something that was being created to be sold later in an auction. Look, um, I guess we'll continue with Marvel and with this extended kind of universe. I mean, we've got Thor at the end of the year, so we'll give that a look. One thing about this film was it did have uh, this DC animated film, Batman and Harlequin, attached to the beginning. There was all these promos for it uh, at the beginning of my screening, and that felt off-brand, but uh, <laughs> you can't really control that, DC and Marvel, you know. And I did have 25 minutes of trailers at the beginning of mine. I don't know if you did, Lloyd. I had a lot of trailers, but I didn't see any um, Batman and Harley Quinn. It was in cinemas for one day only or something, or one night only. So it was like a really, I don't know, unique ad. But um, next time on the podcast, I think we're going to cover Baby Driver. Edgar Wright's latest film is supposed to be stylish and slick, and uh, we'll give that a look. So uh, subscribe to Podme if you can. Check out our podcasts at podmeifyoucan.com. You can find the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Man ones there. We talk about Andrew Garfield and Hacksaw Ridge. And, um, you know, we're covering all kinds of stuff. So there's a great archive there of the last few years, uh, which you can check out. We also, uh, we run a YouTube channel. Basically, we find obscure films with famous stars in them and we discuss them on our YouTube channel. And there's a link to it right there on podmeifyoucan.com. So Baby Driver next week, and uh, beyond that, we'll see what we do. But uh, you can bet, bet that we're going to cover Star Wars, and we're going to cover Thor, and I'm sure Justice League at the end of the year. Uh, they keep making these comic book movies, so I guess we're going to keep seeing them, aren't we, Lloyd? You bet your ass, mofos! And until next time, we'll talk to you then on Pod Me If You Can. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews, 